Welcome to the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast, where we explore popular practices, songs, and ideas in the modern church world in the light of Sola Scriptura and Toto Scriptura. I'm Cody Fields, the president of Westminster Effects. Go buy stuff for your guitar at westminstereffects.com. Make sure you join the discussion in the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast Lounge. There's over 330 of us at this point, which is awesome. Go subscribe and make sure you comment on Facebook, Instagram, blah, 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 blah. Review the show gives five stars. I'm joined in person this week by... Hey, everybody. Bradley Cox, a pastor at Resurrection Church in Greer, South Carolina. Shall we jump right in? Let's do it. Okay. Man, we're getting into the topic before... Right. Now the now the intro music has ended. <laughs> efficient. We're efficient today. So last week in the Inquisition, we got a really good question from Drew Medden, yep. who asked, what's your distinction between heretical belief versus legitimate theological differences and this is a really important question we've talked about it some but i don't think we've devoted like an entire episode to it so how does one distinguish between heresy and a simple disagreement where okay maybe we maybe we don't even go to church together because you know we're gonna do a and you're saying don't do a do b right um but we still recognize each other as, yes, we will hang out in the resurrection. Yeah. Well, I mean, th- there's a few things that come to mind. I mean, what, what in- let me stay, start with this. What intrigued me about this question last week when it, it was part of the Inquisition is that I, I find, it, mainly through social media, somewhat through some conversations, this rush to label people, churches, um, her- heretics. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, 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 to be honest, it feels a bit icky to me. Sure. It, it feels like there's a, there's a wrong attitude and spirit among some. And, and you might say that the, you know, kind of neo-reformed, um, the young reformed types um, are as guilty of this as anyone. Yeah. Okay. And and I, I I'm not a young man, but I would consider myself newly reformed. Uh, you know, sure. I, I mean, it's only within the last decade or so that I've mm-hmm. embraced reform. It, neither of us grew up in it. We neither yeah. of us grew up in it. So I I think I can speak as one of us rather mm-hmm. than being mm-hmm. critical of a different group. But th- there seems to be this rush to find, identify, and come up with clever sarcastic snarky ways of talking about people in churches as heretics um that bothers me what also bothers me is that particularly in the tradition that i grew up in is a lack of willingness Mm -hmm. to say no that's that's heresy or that's wrong or we disagree with that um there's got to be some some sense uh or matrix by which we do all three Mm -hmm. and that's interesting because the the tradition i grew up in being the church of christ was quick to label literally everyone who wasn't the church of christ at least a lot of hardline church of christ people were very quick to label literally every other group that claims the name of christian as heretics 
Yeah, and, and, and when you say that, it reminds me that it, it wasn't that my tradition was unwilling to distance themselves from some things. You know, one of the one of the terms that is used often in the Pentecostal charismatic world is the term full gospel. Right. Which, you know... That was by, coined by uh, Amy Simple McPherson, wasn't I it? I think so. And, and that, it, you know, what it implies is that, you know, anybody that's not Pentecostal has something less than a full gospel because right. you're not teaching right. baptism in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues or things of that nature. Uh, so it wasn't like we the tradition that I was a part of didn't label some things as wrong or different, but um, in large part, the Pentecostal charismatic tradition has been unwilling to acknowledge the error, if not outright heresy, that goes along with things like the prosperity word of faith movement. Mm -hmm. So it it seems, one, you're bothered by uh, over, like an over... uh, being overly enthusiastic about labeling someone a heretic, right? Uh, I think you said something else about being snarky about it too. Can you yeah. go in on that a little bit? It's, it's an attitude. It's a, it's a. There's an arrogance and pride I think that comes through with some people. Um, so, so not necessarily being satirical or sarcastic about things. It's in how you do that. It's how you do that. Okay. I mean, like, I, I think there is a place for, you know, um, sarcasm. Um, Paul seems to be sarcastic sometimes. Right. That, Jesus was sarcastic. Jesus was sarcastic. Yeah. So there is an appropriate place for it, but I think we need to be careful that we're not just on some sort of power trip, some intellectual power trip right. of, you know, to, you know, being condescending towards others in order to elevate our own lofty position all the more and you can um, you can almost almost turn that into like a, a reformed gnosticism too of, of we have this secret knowledge yeah. almost and, and these heretics don't have this knowledge and it's our it's our doctrine that makes us right yeah which uh you know we're saved by grace alone one of the interesting things is the Bible doesn't say that we're saved by believing that we're saved by grace alone. Mm-hmm. It's it's what you're trusting in, right? Yeah, exactly. There's there's always going to be some amount, you know, while while we're still in the flesh, while we're still imperfect, we still trust in ourselves to some degree. Yeah. Uh, and it's it's literally only God's grace. It's not the fact that we believe the right things that gets us saved. Right. Now believing the wrong things can send you to hell yes <laughs> because they no will, they will lead you to not trusting in Jesus and what he did yep yep which is which is why we would call out things like Roman Catholicism because they necessarily preach yes you are partially justified by your works yes exactly and and that leads me to this as you said I can't remember if you said it before or after you hit the record button mm-hmm. but you talked about the difference between outright heresy and serious error mm-hmm. and then disagreement. Right. Right, right. That so that was before I hit the button. That might have been before <laughs> you hit the button. So if we think of those three tiers and we just look at the life of the apostle Paul for example. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I'm just going to throw this out there. Um heresy. What what how would Paul deal with heresy? Well, we need only to look to Galatians to see what his attitude and response and the yep. aggressive nature with which he dealt with anything that remotely even sniffed of 
Jesus plus. Right. Uh, in that case, Jesus plus circumcision. And he was hot about it, it seemed. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is probably the most um, critical letter that he wrote. Uh, even but, even more so, and let, this is just, let's just notice this, even more so than his letter to the Corinthians, yes. who were all caught up in what we might equate with charismatic chaos, right? The, among other things. The letter to the Corinthians is, are you kidding me right now? Exactly. The letter to the Galatians is, if you buy into this stuff, you're going to hell. Exactly. And, and, and that's why he's so hot about it. And I think we need to guard the word heresy and heretic. Mm-hmm. I think we yep. need to that that is that that is the nuclear button in terms of our our critical response to to people and ministries and content what's being taught. Like we we need to be careful not to throw that around too much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We need to be sober and hesitant in some ways to go we, there there needs to be a level of vetting and understanding that takes place that is, I think, calculated and intentional before we, because if that term gets loosely applied, then I, I think we, I think we lose ground in our ability to distinguish the gospel of this. This is what's at stake with heresy. Yep. Distinguishing the gospel of Jesus Christ from everything that's not the gospel of right. Jesus Christ. So before we get into defining those things, I can hear an objection swelling up maybe in our group of, but have you ever been on the internet and have you ever seen how much heresy actually is out there? <laughs> yes, right? like, I have. Because because there's right now in the American church, you have a ton of heresy, right? And we don't deny that. No, I, I mean... But I, I, I think this conversation needs to be had all the more, uh, not about necessarily what this church or that pastor or whatever is saying or doing that we might think is heresy, but mm-hmm. let's, I think we need to spend more time thinking about what, what is heretical and what is serious error. Yeah. Because Paul never called Peter a heretic when Peter was basically holding on to Jewish prejudice at the expense of advancing the gospel into the Gentile regions, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. he was holding on to that, and Paul calls him out. Right. And and apparently pretty aggressive. Yep. But he doesn't say you're going to hell, Peter. Right. He doesn't say you are outside you know, the, the kingdom or outside of the family of God because you're holding on to prejudice. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that prejudice was... A serious issue, right? A, a, a very serious issue that was not congruent with the gospel, but I don't see Paul labeling Peter as a heretic um, because of it, right? So, in terms of how the Bible defines heresy, we have Galatians, where it's if you add anything to what Jesus did, mm-hmm. faith in that—that's outside. That's outside the camp, mm-hmm. right? Uh, so I think we'd also include how we define God, so mm-hmm. the Trinity, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you have, uh, is it First John? Uh, the, and this, this is where the, ref- I'm going to get yelled at by some people. Uh, this is where the, re- the historic Reformed confessions, I think, go off the rails. Uh, is it, it says, 
First John says that the Antichrist or any Antichrist is someone who denies that Jesus came in the flesh. Mm-hmm. Right, so denying his full divinity and full humanity. Mm-hmm. So you could you could also inverse that and say anyone who denies his divinity is antichrist. Yeah, if they're teaching that, right? Right. Uh, where you know the Reformed confessions say that the papacy is the antichrist. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's not how First John defines it. Yeah. So you've got uh, who God is, and then you've got what Jesus accomplished. It really seems that it boils down to those two things. Now, obviously, there are things immediately connected to those, like the resurrection of the dead. Mm-hmm. Um, what else? I mean, just go through the Apostles' Creed, right? <laughs> let me let me pull that up because it just came to mind while I was uh, doing this. Mm. So, Apostles' Creed. There we go. Uh, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. Yes, you have to believe that. Yes. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. Yes, you have to believe that. Mm-hmm. Uh, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. Would you say that you have to believe that in order to be a Christian? I would say so, yes. Yeah. Now, obviously, we're. I think we differentiate between a deathbed conversion yes. and, and the yeah. normal pattern of Christians we're, who have we're not, time. We're not, we're not talking about... To me, there's a difference between what does a person have to know and understand in order to be saved, right? And then versus what might a person who claims to be a Christian mm-hmm. deny in terms of orthodoxy? Yes, yes. So it, it'd be one thing if a person on their deathbed cries out to Jesus for mercy, yes, and is saved without maybe having any knowledge of his virgin birth, right, or any any understanding of the Trinity. Mm-hmm. And the triune nature of God versus a person who claims to be a Christian and says, "No, I don't believe God is three in one." Right. No, I don't believe right. Jesus was born of a virgin. Right. So, with that under our belts, all right. So, born of the Virgin Mary, he suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. That's I know that's a loaded thing. Let's just say he descended into the grave, yep. <laughs> into yep. death. Yep. However, you, you know, he didn't suffer in hell. It says he suffered under Pontius Pilate. Yep. So he was crucified and he really died and he was really buried. The third day he rose again from the dead. Mm-hmm. Yes. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the father almighty from there. He will come to judge the living and the dead. Yep. Yes. I believe in the Holy spirit. The Holy little C Catholic church just means universal. The communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the, the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Amen. I don't think you can make a better summary of the Christian faith, honestly. Right, and it, that concisely. That that's a concise description. It's not scripture, but it's it's absolutely rooted in scripture. Yes. And I think again, um, does a person have to fully understand and grasp all of that to be saved? I don't think so. No, absolutely not. But can a person be saved and deny, outright mm-hmm. deny or reject? those crucial elements I don't I don't think so. Right. And and there's a difference between someone who accidentally believes heresy and someone who then when corrected would deny it, right? Yeah. Like some uh, James White has said if you take if you just quiz the average American Christian, they're going to define the trinity modalistically on accident. Mm-hmm. Which is we want to correct that. Mm-hmm. But as far as I'm aware, all of the people in our church who, if they say something modalistic, uh, and then they would 
be corrected, they'd be like, oh yeah, my bad. Mm-hmm. Let me understand that better. Mm-hmm. Uh, where that's that's different than, or even, let's let's step on some toes, people who trust in the fact that they prayed a prayer. You know, they walked an aisle, they prayed a prayer. Oh, I'm saved now. Mm-hmm. Well, yes, God uses those means often, mm-hmm. particularly in the American church. But then once you really understand that it wasn't that prayer that saved you, right? it is the grace of God, and he used the means of that prayer, right? So somebody could accidentally trust in the fact, and maybe even it's just the way that they phrase it in their brain. Right. Right? Right. Well, we, we, we seem to be talking about what people believe, and that's mm-hmm. right when it comes to differentiating between heresy and Serious error and disagreement. Yep, over secondary issues. Um, but I think heresy inherently implies that if, if a person is a heretic, they are lauding, teaching, influencing others yes. in yes. something that's not orthodox. Right, and, and that was going to be the next next point. Is there's also a difference between someone who believes or accidentally believes heresy and someone who's promoting heresy. Yes, yes, right, exactly. Uh, and I, I, you know, the Bible talks about those who teach are going to be judged with greater strictness. And what does that really mean? Mm-hmm. Like, what? how does that, because sometimes, I mean, if, if I'm just like, let me, let me just put aside all the, any sense that I have this all figured out. Um, there are people, and I'm not going to name any names because if I start naming names, it's gonna, it's gonna, people are gonna start getting into their camps that are listening to this. Mm-hmm. But there are some people that I, I have listened to and 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 heard, and I think to myself, that's heretical. Yeah, what they're teaching, mm-hmm. what they're lauding, is in and of itself heretical. Yep. But I find this tension in me that a, a hesitancy to want to label them apostate. Sure. That they are, in fact, outside the body of Christ and that anybody who listens to them or sits in their church on Sunday mornings is n- not going to be able to be saved. Mm-hmm. I'm just, I, I, I feel like that's not right. In some ways, like I, I wonder, is it possible for a person to? And I, f- I feel like I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth because yeah. I, I, you know, <laughs> no, there's a real tension there. It's there a, is a real tension there. Is like, what if a person has a modalistic understanding of the Trinity, and they're teaching that? Mm-hmm. And I know where people's brains are going to go and who they're going to think about when I say this. Mm-hmm. But is it possible for? someone who teaches and influences to have a modalistic bent um, for whatever reason and genuinely love Jesus and just still be a work in progress. And then, but how do you reconcile that with, you know, um, the fact that I, I, I really do believe you have, you, a trinity, a denial of the triune nature of God to me is um, a deal breaker. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, and and there's also you're you're still leaving room, I think, for if you see a friend share something on Facebook, just for for example, 
uh, of someone who you know teaches heresy or whatever. It's like, hey, saw you, saw you posted this. Just a heads up. You know, this guy's into these other kinds of things, and that's pretty dangerous. Would love to talk to you about it. Yeah. You're still leaving room for that. Yeah, no, you're, totally. You're not saying to never correct anybody or to say, hey, here's some better resources or that guy's dangerous. I think we, I think we absolutely need to correct. Yeah. I think we need to not be hesitant at all to say that is wrong. Mm-hmm. That is dangerous. Yeah. But I do think we need to reserve the term heretic yes, for those that are clearly outside the body of Christ, who are clearly anti-Christ. Right. Um, wolves in sheep's clothing. Mm-hmm. I think we need to reserve mm-hmm. that. And I, and I, but I don't think we need to shy away from pointing out serious, dangerous, potentially damning error. Right, right. But there's, it, do you see the difference? This is what bothers me is that if we were to, um, I, I said I wasn't going to name any names, but but I think I think this will be a relatively safe one. If we were to look at someone like Stephen Furtick, mm-hmm. um, and I think it would be right to say there are things coming out of his teaching, of his out of his mouth that are seriously wrong. Yes. Potentially damning. Yes. Um, need to be corrected. Yes. And sadly, he doesn't seem to be under any sort of accountability mm-hmm. by anyone who could provide that kind of correction and critique. Everybody's just left to lob shots at him from the cheap seats, including John MacArthur. Right, is is we 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 don't need to shy away from calling that serious error that is potentially damning and definitely dangerous, but I'm hesitant to call him a heretic. That's fair. And you know, stop listening to the podcast as long as I'm on it if you want because I said that. <laughs> but I just feel like we need to be careful with that word. Mm-hmm. Um, like, and, and I'm not justified. The, the end doesn't justify right, the means. Right. I don't care how many people he baptizes. I don't care how many people come to his church. I don't care how many books he writes and, and how many clicks and likes and whatever he gets on social media. Uh, that, you know, Paul says some preach Christ out of, you know, pretense, others out of sincerity. Mm-hmm. But I give, you know, I give, I rejoice and I'm glad because Christ is preached, mm-hmm. period. Right. Is, is there enough of lauding of the glory of Christ in Stephen Furtick's teaching that God might actually be using it in the lives of some people? Mm-hmm. Potentially. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. I've been to one. I've never heard him in person. Mm-hmm. Years and years ago, I went to some Code Orange revival thing. It was act, it was the year that Matt Chandler did this famous sermon. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I wasn't there on the week that Matt Chandler was there. I was there on the week that um, Perry Noble spoke. Okay. Um, so I didn't get to hear Matt Chandler. Uh, I wish I would have. Yeah, it would have been better for you. But you, but you, but here's interesting. Here's what's interesting. You know, Matt Chandler did not go in there and call Furtick a heretic. Mm-hmm. Nor did he go in there and say, none of y'all are saved. Right. He just he, laid it out there. He could have. Right. Like, like right. based on how some people treat the term heresy and heretic and, and what some people do on social media. Mm-hmm. Yep. 
you know, I would love to see them have a microphone put in their hands in front of that audience with Stephen Furtick <laughs> sitting on the platform yeah. and say the things that you say on social media. Whew. Say it. Right. Like if you're if are you that confident? Mm-hmm. Or is it just that easy to lob cheap shots, you know, from the cheap seats on social media? Right. I think what Chandler did was brilliant, God honoring, and fruitful. Yeah. Is that he goes tremendously the, fruitful. He goes in there and he calls out the serious error with the scriptures. Right. And he does it in a very direct, forceful, you know, uncompromising kind of way. Yep. And and it wasn't received well right. by, by Furtick and his church. I mean, they yep. deleted it, but then there was an uproar and it was put back and now it's everywhere. Right. But that to me is an example of Maybe addressing serious error in the right way. And and you're not saying, lest someone accuse you of such, you're not saying it's okay to listen to Furtick. <laughs> you you would say No, I'm don't not saying li- that. Don't listen to him, right? No. Right? It's it's more I think you're differentiating between a heretic and a false teacher, possibly. Well, I think a heretic is a false teacher. A right. false teacher is a heretic. Sure, sure, sure. I think, I think, I would never say that. I would never encourage people to listen to Furtick. What I recognize is that people do listen to Furtick. Right. And therefore, I think we need to, we need to, we need to measure our criticism and, um. Use it in the right way, mm-hmm. and I don't. I I just you know again my personal opinion. I I I do give quarter, and I do acknowledge that there is there is an appropriate place for sarcasm and satirical kind of literature mm-hmm. and comments and commentary. But I really think that we would be better off to direct our energies toward the people that we know who do listen to Furtick. Right. That's fair. And I say, think. hey, let me have a conversation with you. Mm-hmm. Let, let, let's sit down and let's look at the scriptures together and let's examine carefully to see if these things are so, like the Bereans did mm-hmm. when they heard Paul teach. Right. And, and then let's not be afraid in any capacity to point out serious error. We don't have the platforms that, like, that the likes of Matt Chandler do. Mm-hmm. You know, Furtick hasn't asked me to come speak at his church. Yet. I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> if he did, I hope I would have the courage and boldness to do what something similar to what Matt right. Chandler no, did. absolutely, exactly, absolutely. But I don't see the fruitfulness and effectiveness of you know um, some of the snarky, um, unhelpful mm-hmm. sarcasm and uh, satire that gets thrown around there about the likes of him. And there are others, and we could name them. But right. We, we're just using him as an so, example. So in terms of Serious error. I think there's. You could even differentiate between serious error that tends toward being outright heretical, and then serious error where the downstream consequences are destructive, but it's still within orthodoxy. Totally. And so I would I would see things like uh, traditional Pentecostalism and their their significant overemphasis in speaking in tongues, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, or I would even point going to step on some toes here i would point to dispensationalism and their escapist attitudes with the rapture totally um where i think those are serious errors but am i 
since you referenced uh, Chuck Smith in our midweek Bible study, mm-hmm. uh, Chuck Smith, huge dispensationalist. Yep. One of the leading voices in the late 70s and early 80s of Jesus is about to come back right now. Everybody get ready. Yep. Right? Uh, which I think that part of his ministry was tremendously destructive. Mm-hmm. But are we going to see him in the resurrection? I, I absolutely think so. Yeah, right? and I think he would be a guy that would be um, – more closely akin in scripture to somebody like Apollos. Oh yeah. Yeah. Aquila and Priscilla pull him aside. Yep. And they, they, they correct him in some things. And I think somebody needed to correct Chuck Smith in that issue in particular. Right. Uh, But, and, and, you know, down Smith from Chuck Smith, you get Greg Laurie. It's kind of got the same emphasis. Same emphasis. Yeah. But has God used Greg Laurie and Chuck Smith? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, uh, especially with Calvary Chapel's emphasis, like you were talking about, their emphasis on expository teaching. Yep. Now, we would believe if they keep that up long enough and they're consistent with it, they're going to stop teaching dispensationalism. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, it hasn't happened. Not but, yet. You know, um, Give it time. Yeah, but th- but there is something to be lauded there um, about you know Calvary Chapel, I think. I mean, yeah. people may disagree, but I think that, um, you know, I think Chuck Smith was setting his dispensational uh, theology aside was a faithful expositor of the word. Yeah. Uh, and same thing with MacArthur being dispensational. Exactly. MacArthur, uh, faithful, faithful teacher of the word. I have a lot of respect for him, although I probably wouldn't go to his church. Sure. No, I wouldn't either. Yeah. You yeah. Know, um, I, I know, I know for a fact that there are other, churches in that like if I was forced to move out there I know that there are churches that I would disagree significantly more with that would be a lot easier for me to go to I wouldn't I I, I love so much about RC Sproul yeah but I wouldn't go to his church cuz he baptizes babies right right but visit he, visit maybe I would visit. Out I would yeah. certainly go and listen to him teach yeah. if he were still alive yeah, but would I be a member of his church and participate in infant baptism that, in that way? Probably not. Mm-hmm. Um, but that doesn't mean that you know I, I think he's causing damage to the body of Christ because I don't. I just I, I think that you know I have a disagreement with him over that. Right. That I probably don't have the intellect or the chutzpah to stand toe to toe with him on if he was still alive. Right. Which is, which is interesting because I talked to a decent amount of credo Baptists who are just appalled at pedo baptism. Mm-hmm. Uh, they think that baptizing babies is, is basically one step away from Roman Catholicism. <laughs> no, they do. And I know, I mean, yeah, I've talked, I've had this conversation not that long ago. Uh, right. Where, where we have, well, I won't go there. I won't go there, but, um, Yes, it's a serious disagreement. It's going to keep us from being members in each other's churches. But in terms of cooperation on certain things, we're all in. Yeah. Right? Like, we, we both have, well, Lutheran John, he baptized his kids when they were babies. Yeah. Right? Uh, we don't think they're going to hell. <laughs> no, we don't. Just for the record, we don't think the Lutherans... Lutherans who believe the Bible, not the ELCA. That's another that they would fit in the heresy column, <laughs> yeah, uh, because they are outright denying things. Uh, but we're gonna we're gonna hang out with John for eternity, right? We're gonna hang out with Sproul for eternity, totally. We're gonna hang out with MacArthur and Chuck Smith for eternity. I think so. Uh, Furtick, jury's still out on that one, but thank God that we're not God, 
and we don't have to make that call. Yeah. And and I and and that's a good point. We're not God and I think we need to be more inclined to identify serious error. Mhm. And be slow to label something slower to label something outright heresy unless it's sure. absolutely blatant. Sure. I, and I think um, to reference a previous episode, Holly Pivik and Doug Guyvett have done a really good job at that with their work on the New Apostolic Reformation. Yeah. Where they, they will say, yeah, these things are heresy. These things are serious error. Your church might be experiencing a little bit of both yep. or only the error parts. Uh, maybe they've been deceived on some things, but the gospel's still there somehow. I think they've done an excellent job. Yeah, so. yeah and, and you know, and it, it's really sad that we don't have you know any sort of comprehensive accountability. Um, you know, I, I'm for all, the autonomy of the local church. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's important. I think it's I think it's crucial. Um, but at the same time, you know, I f- I feel like there are some well very well known people that say heretical things out of ignorance sure not out yeah. of not out of like um you know a, a malicious sort of attitude right um and you, you press them on it and they didn't they don't really mean that and that's why i say we need to be clear about um like i think i th- and i said i wasn't going to name any names we've named four so <laughs> yeah, yeah. so I saw an interview where somebody questioned Bill Johnson on his description of the incarnation in when he said something that sounded like Jesus gave up his divinity. Right. Okay? Which would be heresy. Yes. If you believe that Jesus is not anything anything less than fully God and fully man during the days of his incarnation, that is heresy. Yep. And if you teach that, you're a heretic. And it, and if he stopped being God at some point. If he stopped being God, he would cease to be who he is, and therefore he would not be the perfect sacrifice, and we're dead in our sins. Um, Bill Johnson, in this particular interview, was pressed on that by somebody. And he's like, no, I didn't mean that. I hmm. misspoke. Now, to give him a huge benefit of the doubt, if that's true. Mm-hmm. B- because I know he's said, I-, I think I know the interview you're talking about, and he's said the same line since then. Okay, so, so so maybe he really does believe Jesus ceased to be God. Right. And therefore, if he does believe that, he's a heretic. Yeah. But I think, I, well, all I'm arguing, I'm not arguing that Bill Johnson is not a heretic. Right. What I'm ar- arguing is that we need to be careful. Yes. Because somebody might have said something, somebody might have misspoken, or they might be saying something out of ignorance, and they have serious error that could lead to heresy. We need to be careful before we just start labeling people heretics, Yes, is my point, because I think we need to protect that word. Absolutely. Good points. Let's move on to the Inquisition. Good. And this is the Inquisition where you throw us questions and we answer them on the fly. You submit those questions via a weekly post. The Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast Lounge on Facebook. This will be a quicker, well, we have two questions because one is a longer topic. Two, this first question might take a second. 
So, as is tradition, we start with Brian Morris, who follows up from last week and asks, if angels, or I'm sorry, if aliens are demons, and if watchers, possibly demon aliens, did indeed teach people how to use technology, as in First Enoch, and our technology is thus based upon that, should we all become Amish? <laughs> I don't even know where to start. Yeah. Uh, I mean, <laughs> people don't realize how important First Enoch, it's not scripture, but First Enoch was really important to the New Testament writers. Uh, Peter and Jude make heavy use of it. Mm. And then, um, so for example, uh, to very briefly summarize it, you have the Nephilim in Genesis 6, um, and these watchers or sons of God are said in first Enoch to come down to Mount Hermon to covenant together to go take for themselves wives among the daughters of men, right? Um, well, it's there's very good evidence that the Mount of Transfiguration thing, that event happened on Mount Hermon with Jesus saying, yeah, they don't have anything on me yeah, kind of thing. So, um, yeah, this it gets weird. The Bible's a lot weirder than we realize. <laughs> and uh, I think Michael Heiser has done a good job at explaining a lot of these things, though you have to take him with not just a pinch of salt. I'd say a block of salt. Mm. I've used this illustration, uh, I know, with Corey, uh, with our post-mill project, but I don't think I've, I've said it with you is... is you know, he's really, really good, and then something weird will come out of left field. And by out of left field, I mean somebody will parachute off of the green monster in Fenway while streaking, run to the infield, and then throw the rosin bag from the pitcher's mound at somebody. Like, it, it'll get that weird. And, like, he'll he'll be explaining things, be like, and yeah, by the way, free will. This doesn't even line up, dude. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So Michael Heiser's The Unseen Realm and uh, Reversing Herman are uh, pretty helpful resources, I think. Uh, but no, we don't have to become Amish. Otherwise, you couldn't listen to this podcast. That's the only reason that you should have technology in the first place, is to listen to this. Yeah. <laughs> Brian's a deep thinker. Yeah. Uh, last question <laughs> from Brad Speed. Uh, I believe this, what is this? Isaiah 9. Yes. Uh, why is Jesus foretold as being called the everlasting father when he's the son? Good question. Um, it is. I actually taught on that um, at Christmas. Um, and my take on that is that what, you know what what precedes that is um for unto us a child is born unto us a son is given yep right yep uh and the government will be upon his shoulders so a son it's clearly a son right that's being promised and that son is going to rule going to be a king mm -hmm. and what's his rule going to be like is is the question that those descriptors are answering Right. Uh, well, his name shall be called uh, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That's Those are all descriptors of what the son's rule will be like. Um, and when it comes to the Everlasting Father, I think that 
points to his rule being father-like mm-hmm. uh, and the best father you could possibly imagine in the way that he rules, the way that he leads, the way that he protects, yep. the way that he provides, uh, the way that he serves, and he's... His rule is not going to be like the father that you know is good for a while and then leaves. It's everlasting. His rule, right. his father-like rule, is everlasting. That that's my take on that. It's it's not saying that the son is a father, but the son rules like a really good father. Right. Um, I've also heard it, and I I can't confirm this at all, but I've also heard it said that it might be more accurate to uh, to translate that phrase as father of eternity. Uh, which which would line up? It wouldn't Maybe. be it wouldn't I mean, be wrong. It doesn't necessarily yeah. fit the theme of the text. That that's what I would argue is that I I I think the the descriptors are explaining what kind of son this ruling son is going to be. What yes. kind? What kind of? Sorry. What kind of ruler is this son given going to be? That's right. What I'm intended to say. Right. And those descriptors explain that, I think. Um, and thus, I don't think it's literally saying the son will yeah. be the father or that the, the son is the father. Right. Certainly not that. Right. You read that and you're, uh, you know, if you're Trinitarian and not a heretic, like we talked about, <laughs> like your ears should perk up. Like, what, what does this mean? Yeah. Uh, but just dig into the text and it'll usually answer it for you like you just kind of did right there right exactly um it's kind of like we're going through philippians right now we were just in philippians 2 and you've got that verse of work out your salvation with fear and trembling and that verse has been used to bludgeon people like you need to get your act together well comma for it's god who works in you yeah right so it answers its own questions that it brings up right sometimes the bible will do that a couple chapters later but most of the time, it's within a couple sentences. Yes. I mean, you know, to your point earlier, um, which you said, what now? It could be eternal. I've heard that it could be better translated as father of eternity. I can't prove that, and I could be entirely wrong, but I have heard that before. Well, the, the phrasing in verse 6 of Isaiah 9, for, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. Um, I don't think that's just... The second phrase is meant to identify the gender of the child. Mm-hmm. I think it's to communicate that an eternal son has been given, born as a child. In fact, I think that's the way it reads in the Hebrew. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A son is given, born as a child. Right. So the, the eternal nature of the son is, I think, clearly seen in the beginning of verse 6. And the government will be upon his shoulder. Mm-hmm. Uh, means that the eternal son given, born as a child, is going to rule, and therefore what is his rule going to be like? That That's the question we should ask, and that's the question that Israel would have been asking because, you know, you, you get a new king, it's like, what kind of king is this guy going to be? Mm. You know, this king was a, you know, idolater and ruined the nation, and this king was a worshiper of Yahweh and our nation prospered. So what kind of king are we going to get here? What's he going to be like? Mm-hmm. There, the prophecy then explains that in in the descriptors. So, yep. Uh, and you know, it, it's 
book ended also with, and of the increase of his government and of his peace, there will be no end. <coughs> that was not true. <laughs> that was not true of, men, of, of any of the kings. Right. Right? Right. The increase and, and the, 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 the prosperity of a king's rule always ended. He eventually dies. He eventually dies, or he ruins it, he screws it up. But yep. this, this son, this eternal son given, is not going to do that. Thus yep. his descriptor titles there. Mm. So before I go into a rant about that being a very post-millennial passage as well. <laughs> oh, we'll uh, yeah, we'll just go ahead and end it there and say thanks for listening to the Westminster Effects Oxology Podcast. Go love God, love your neighbor, and make some music. We'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.